Welcome to Camofoil, where we dig for the truth and then keep on digging. I'm Denise. I'm Matt. And we're here to help you get to the answers that you didn't even know that you needed. To questions that you didn't even think or know to ask. Because where can we go in this world today to get answers and to get the truth? We can't go to the lamestream media, that's for sure. Definitely not. We can't go to those ivory tower experts. Eggheads. Yeah. What do they know? And clearly, we're not even going to touch the politician class. Yeah, definitely not. Washington insiders, they don't know what's going on in America. They're stuck in the beltway. They never get out of that bubble. Right. I mean, thank goodness we have President Trump, who at least understands the common man. Exactly. But, you know, he's just one man, and and everybody seems set to try to hold him back and, and prevent him from doing what needs to be done here. He's like atlas uh with the weight of the world on his shoulders he needs our help because like you said he's just one man with a half billion followers on twitter and a major news network at his beck and call i mean how can he possibly get the truth out to us there's just no way to cut through the white noise Exactly. But that's what we're here for. Exactly. And that's why I'm so glad everybody is, is finding their way to us. Yes, because that's what we're here to do. We're here to look at current events and present a kind of fresh take, uh, you know. Um... Yeah, we're slogging through all of this noise and lies and deception that we're getting through the, through the media and everything else because we know how to look through it and see the real truth. They try to hide it, but it, it comes through. We can look through it and make sense of that. So one question that people might be wondering is, you know, where do we get our information from? Where do we find these clues that are hidden? I don't know if you've heard of this website, Denise, botsentinel.com. Have you heard of that? What do they do? Apparently, what they do is they identify bot AI accounts on Twitter, and they track them and what hashtags they're posting and sort of label them as bots to kind of distinguish them from regular people. And... I know there's a lot of discussion nowadays about bots and the way that they're undermining democracy and all that. But I mean, that is just a bunch of liberal claptrap, as we know, to prevent us from gaining the valuable insights that these bots have to offer us. Um, yeah, they don't like the fact that we've realized that between all of those so-called journalists and experts and the politician class, they're always spamming Twitter. And so when the people came back with bots who could amplify the truth and start counteracting that, they of course had to quickly rush in and say, oh no, these are bad and terrible and you should never listen to them. Right, exactly. I mean, when you think about it, journalists and other people in the so-called media industry have an interest in undermining the credibility of bots. But let me tell you about why I trust bots. And I almost hate to admit this for our listeners, but both you and I, we have PhDs, right? So, so we, we know exactly the evils 
that the ivory tower that academia can get up to. But one of the positive takeaways from that is, is we know that human beings are inherently biased. Yep. They interpret things, they put a spin on things, they have their own agenda. I mean, you know, when every time I open the New York Times, I feel like I'm reading the fourth volume of Das Kapital by Marx. Exactly. Exactly. And so to get to my point here, what is a bot? A bot is a program. It's not a human being. There's no bias there. It's just, it's an algorithm just doing what it's told. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, and just giving us uh, the unfiltered raw data that we need. No interpretive filter. So I'm looking at this data from Bot Sentinel, which identifies the top 10 hashtags that these bots are posting on Twitter every day. And do you know what always appears in the top 10? What? Hashtag Trump 2020, hashtag MAGA, hashtag CAG 2020. And so for me, that's totally a signal right? Right. He's sending us a message because he's obviously hired these bot farms to help him get his message out there. And they're posting these hashtags. And so I think of these bots as just, it's like a sign pointing the way to the truth. Nobody knows about this. Why isn't the media covering that? Have you ever seen the Washington Post or MSNBC mention this site? No, of course not. It's a great place to start. For anyone that's serious about doing their research, I mean, that's the other thing, right? Don't listen to us. Do your own research. Yeah. I mean, listen to us first and then do your own research. And when you do that research, you'll see that we're right. Exactly. So you might be able to, you could probably skip doing your own research. Just make it easier for yourself because you're busy. You've got all sorts of stuff going on in your life. You don't need to be having to dig through all this stuff. That's what we're here for. And in addition to, you know, looking through through the bots and, and getting our signs that way, uh, you know, as you mentioned, we both went through the academia process. So we know we're insiders. We have some of that inside information. And that allows us to really filter out um, what's being said. And, and we know the, the codes and we can kind of break that for people. So you might see a news story that talks about Trump being way behind in the polls, but as you and I both know, I mean, you can use statistics to prove anything. That's, that's exactly right. I mean, when has, historically, when has a poll ever predicted the results of an election? Right. I mean, Almost never. Harry Truman, what else do we need to look at? Well, and also, let's think about this. Polls are a relatively recent invention. We didn't really start doing polls until, what, the 20th century? So that means there were thousands of years of human history, right? I mean, did Louis XVI do polls? No. No. So, I mean... (sighs) Yeah. Polls don't tell us anything except what the mainstream media wants us to believe. And they want to just destroy our hope and make us think that it's all hopeless. But like I said, we know what's going on. Yeah, that's exactly right. Again, our experience, we know how much of a sham so-called expertise is. Right. Right. I mean, I have a PhD. I hardly know anything. Same here. I'm pretty sure I actually know less after doing that than I did going in. It really, it causes all sorts of damage. Yeah. 
gone through that process. You know, I mean, I think that's another thing we want people to understand is don't even get involved. Don't even think about it. Don't even go for it. Now, why do that to yourself? It's a waste of money. It's a waste of time. Get your PhD from reddit.com or Google or Breitbart. Yep, because anybody can sit for eight years and study something. Like, And then what do you get out of it? And stuff changes all the time. So if you're busy reading books that were written like years ago, what good does that do you now? It doesn't even apply, right? Exactly. I, I, yeah. I mean, libraries are really just monuments to useless knowledge. Which is why it's so refreshing to see how many of them are, you know, getting rid of the books and putting in more like Starbucks and coffee. I say defund them, knock them down, and put up a few more statues. Because that's how you learn. I mean, a statue is like the most efficient way to learn history. Maybe even a whole statue garden. And then you can sell concessions by them. And it really just creates like a whole economic system in and of itself. It's great for the economy. People can yeah. take pictures with them. Maybe you could have a statue, you know, with a head missing and somebody stands behind it and then they become Columbus or they become Robert E. Lee or they become Mussolini. Oh my gosh, that would be amazing. It would be. Who wouldn't want to do that? It's true. It really is true. Look, if academics want to make themselves really useful, can they find out a process whereby they can take all those old books, completely irrelevant, right? I mean... Is the Civil War still going on? Nope. Is World War II still happening? No. I mean, the Holocaust, it's over. Has I, anyone I, even seen a Nazi lately? I mean, really. Ironically, that's probably why we need some more statues. Right, because people keep forgetting about them. They do. I mean, that, that, is the real, that is the real shame. What's that saying? Those who remember the past are doomed to repeat it or something like that? Something along those lines, yeah. I don't know. It was said a long time ago. It's probably been forgotten. There probably isn't a statue of it. Yeah, I mean, do we even know who said that? I sure don't. Yeah. If they had bots when that guy was saying it, they would have amplified it for them, and then we know. Yeah, it would have been hashtag whatever the quote was. Yeah. So much information that has been lost because they didn't have bots in the past. It's a crime, almost. It is. You don't want to think about it too long, or Yeah. In fact, that's another key point in all of this. Don't waste your time thinking too long or hard about any of the stuff that you're, that you're hearing or seeing because yeah. that just causes you a headache and you don't need that. My motto is a little information goes a long way. That is so true. So I think we're going to shift gears a little bit right now and... Our plan is to do a couple of segments each episode about some issue of pressing concern in which there is some uncertainty and, and, and some debate about and try to provide some clarification, maybe some enlightenment on the topic. So, Denise, what did you want to talk about first? Well, I think one of the issues that's on everybody's minds right now is this issue of masks. You know, we've been seeing a lot of stuff about this for a while. And again, people are trying to make everybody wear masks. But we really got to sit and ask ourselves, who's benefiting from this? You know, why is this such a big deal? Why is there such an emphasis from all these so-called experts mm -hmm. and doctors and liberal politicians you know, why are they forcing this so hard? Yeah. If I, if I can just interject here. Please do. 
I was just looking at the bot hashtags from the last week and no mention of masks. Right. Because it's not important. And I'll tell you why they keep pushing it. It's all part of a communist plot. Because let's think about this logically here. Okay. What does this mask do? It covers your face. Mm -hmm. What is one of the best ways that we can differentiate individuals? Our faces. But if all of our faces are covered with these same masks, we all start to look alike. We all start think alike. I mean, it's clearly part of a communist plot to turn us all into essentially drones that are just there to serve the communist state. I think you're exactly right. I can't think of a quicker way to destroy someone's individuality than to ask them to wear a mask. Right. One of the saving graces that we've had so far, I mean, in addition to all the patriots who just flat out refuse to wear a mask, but even the people who who have felt guilted or pressured into it, Hmm. they're still fighting back at the moment by being an individual with their mask. And that's Mm -hmm. what those comics didn't count on. They thought that they could just mass produce all the same mask and that's all we would wear. But nope, our individuality is still strong enough that we can come up with our own masks. But it's just a slippery slope. I mean, the more we have to wear them, you know, the longer those are on, the more we start just thinking, well, I should just wear what everybody else is wearing. Mm -hmm. You know, so the capitalist spirit and the individualistic spirit of America is still fighting at the moment. But how long can we last if we keep having to, you know, get this hammered in? I seem to recall or I, I've, I've heard people saying that when you wear the mask and it's covering your nose and your mouth, carbon dioxide is building up right in front of your face. Yeah. And it's, I'm pretty sure it's a proven fact that nothing interferes with your sense of individualism, your ability to think as an individual and question authority than inhaling high levels of carbon dioxide. And so we really need to be mindful about throwing off, ripping off, if you will, yeah, the mask of communist carbon dioxide and breathing in the oxygen of capitalism. Exactly. And I look back at all sorts of great Americans and you never see them wear a mask. I mean, you've got like John Wayne, sure, he had a bandana around his neck where Americans are supposed to have that kind of stuff. Right. Not over his face. Yeah. You think about all of the great Americans. I mean, the signers of the Declaration of Independence. I didn't see anybody wearing a mask. I've been to Mount Rushmore. There's no masks on any of those presidents. Was Benjamin Franklin wearing a mask when he wrote the Constitution? Absolutely not. I doubt he was even wearing a mask when he was visiting all those brothels in Paris. I don't even think he was wearing any clothes. I mean, he practiced something called air bathing, right? I mean, there is a true American individual. He understood the dangers. Yeah. And what did Benjamin Franklin say? That those who would give up liberty for a little security deserve neither. So what good is it to give up our liberty for this false sense of security that masks mm-hmm. are supposed to give us. I, was, I remember when I was in the Hall of Presidents in 
Disney World, none of those presidents wearing masks. It's just un-American. It really is. And uh, it's anti-capitalist, too. And what's even more scary about it, the more that I was thinking about this and looking into it, those masks are not comfortable. You put it on if you have, you know, because some places they'll, they'll like arrest you and stuff if you're mm-hmm. not wearing masks. So, yeah. you know, you're going out there and you're, you're suffering through this. And every time they have to put it on, you're starting to think, boy, I wish I didn't have to wear this. And yeah. they're counting on that. Because the more tired you get of it, the more happy you're going to be when they come on and say, hey, if you get this vaccine, you won't have to wear the mask anymore. Right. They don't realize that the vaccine is going to be even worse. Yeah. I mean, that's a whole nother angle that we need to get into is the role of big pharma and big vaccine, big V, as I like to call them, in scaring people. Yep. The mass his mask hysteria, if you will. I think that's perfect. But before we get to that, I just wanted to point out who else do we see right now wearing masks? Protesters. Right. They're always wearing masks. Yeah. What am I going to put on a mask and possibly be mistaken as some left-wing radical here to tear tear down a statue. Next thing I know, I'll be kidnapped by unidentified federal agents and and put into some unmarked enterprise rental van and carted off to, to God knows where. And, you know, everybody wants us to think that, oh, you know, these protesters are real Americans and they're doing something that's so important. How is tearing down our history important or American? I mean, can you imagine any time in American history where we would just destroy property? I can't think of a single time. Nope, I can't either. Because it's just unthinkable. There's no good reason to do that. Yeah. You know, I know there's been a lot of discussion about these federal agents that are being sent into Portland, and they are just trying to get this message out about the danger of masks and the danger of masked people. Yeah. And, you know, and it's just, it's just so sad that people won't listen. Blocks your mouth, blocks your nose, and people don't realize it, but blocks your ears so you can't hear the truth. The few times that I have worn a mask, mainly when I've had some kind of surgery or something, the strap pulls on your ear. Yeah. And it actually, it can crush your ear canal. And then next thing you know, you can't hear anything. It really is disconcerting and alarming. All this debate about masks, which I don't even know why we're having it, has focused so much on the occlusion, the blockage of the nose and the mouth, but people always forget about the ears. Yeah, it's terrible. And I mean, there's some real pain there. And, you know, you can only imagine what that's doing to your head and to your brain. I mean, that can't be good for it. Your brain's like right there. Have you noticed that when you're talking to somebody wearing a mask, you always have to speak up? Yeah. That's because they are losing their hearing. That's right. We are on the short track to being a nation of shouters. That will be the real epidemic. Yep. It's just terrifying to think about. You know, the question is then how do we how do we avoid these consequences? You know, how can we resist this, right? And right. and I think as you were you were pointing to, one of the things we really need to think about is who's behind this. Yep. We need to unmask them. Exactly. Who do you think is really pulling the strings here? Somebody's pulling the strings. Somebody is sewing the strings onto the masks. Making them so tight and painful to us. Yeah. 
I mean, yeah. that's the other thing. Where are they making these masks at? China? Right. Do they know anything about the dimensions? Right, because, you know, again, those liberal elites in academia got rid of studying head sizes. You know, the undermining of phrenology is one of the unsung tragedies of American intellectual history. People just don't understand. They don't. It's all right there to be mapped out. Yeah. I mean, if, if that was still a viable field, we would know so much more about pure American skull shape. Right. And the right kind of mask to put on to the face, which, let's be honest, would be really not a mask. Yep. But if it were a mask, we would need one that is informed by phrenology. Exactly. But, you know, look, there's a great example of the mainstream media undermining a perfectly legitimate field yep. of inquiry. And, you know, just think of how that would help us in terms of law and order and the, the war on crime. If we could just go back to, you know, because it's all right there. You could just determine who's going to be a criminal, who isn't. Problem solved. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we could have uh, checkpoints. Yeah. With your friendly neighborhood phrenologist there to just take a few unintrusive measurements of your head. I mean, all these people lined up to get those swabs stuck up your nose, like all the way to your brain. To oh my God. I think how much easier it'd be to just go and be like, hey, can you just measure my head real quick? And why don't you give me a full body cavity search while you're at it? I got nothing to hide. Right. Rendition me to Egypt. I don't care. Yeah. I got nothing to hide. I want to see the pyramids. Nobody talks about that aspect of the war on terror. Right. All those people who were uh, sent to Egypt under the doctrine of extraordinary rendition, they had a great vacation once they were done. Yeah. Taxpayer-funded flight, lodgings, water. Yeah, I mean, and some of them had the nerve to complain. Yeah, people just don't understand American generosity and do not appreciate what we've done. You know who would appreciate that water that those uh, those prisoners in Egypt were? The people of Detroit. Right. Clean water right there. But the Democrats just keep complaining and they keep putting up barriers to these types of things. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's just again and again... People aren't willing to make the sacrifices necessary, but they're willing to just uh, accept what other people are saying and, and just blindly follow them when it comes to things like wearing masks. Mm -hmm. And they somehow think that that's going to be good for us and good for the economy. Well, and that's the other thing we wanted to talk about was this whole debate about public health versus the economy. We need to shut down because there's a second wave coming. I, it just makes me so sick because just for once, I would like to see the people of this country put the economy first. It always comes last. Where are our priorities if we aren't willing to help out business? I know, exactly. I mean, what is America without businesses, without the economy? It is a ruinous wasteland. Exactly. This whole manufactured debate by the media that pits public health versus the economy, in which the economy always loses. Yep. And it, it just, it really gets to me because, you know, I think about our grandparents' generation, the people who fought in World War II. Those were people that knew about 
sacrifice. The greatest generation. So many of them got on boats, in planes, they crossed the Atlantic Ocean, they fought in Europe. And why did they do that? For the American economy. That's right, because things had been so bad because, I mean, think about it, throughout most of the 30s, Democratic president. Ugh, awful. Yeah, but then war came and people were able to see the light at the end of the tunnel again. They were able to get back to work. Women were welcomed into the workforce for the first time. Yep. All sorts of contributions made by everybody to get this economy back up and running. Yeah. The destruction wrought by Democratic administrations, anti-economy Democratic administrations, and they made that sacrifice. They went to France. They died in the trenches, all for the economy. And so when you think about what's happening today, and the debate about the economy in the context of World War II and the sacrifice that our grandparents made. Is it too much to ask for people to go back to work? Sure, some people are going to get sick, but the deaths aren't going to be anywhere near the level that they were in World War II. Right. I mean, and for most of us, let's be real. I mean, a couple days with the sniffles and that's what we're going to close everything down for. Yeah. I mean, if you think of the economy as kind of the circulatory system of a nation, is it too much to ask people to risk permanent damage to their lungs and their circulatory system as individuals for the good of the nation's circulatory system? By shutting down the economy, we are giving America coronavirus. That's ex yeah. essentially what we're doing. And I don't understand, you know, these pampered millennials who've never had to sacrifice anything in their lives. Oh, man. I mean, think of what an easy ride they've had, you know, over the past whatever, 20, 30 years. I mean, things have been great for them. They've never yeah. had. Well, and of course they want the lockdown. They're already living in their parents' basement. Can I think of a better excuse for me to continue to live rent-free without a job, but a global pandemic? Right. And, you know, and oh, I'll just order all my stuff online and have people deliver it to me. I don't even have to <sighs> leave to go to go buy stuff. I mean, what's yeah. that? Right. I don't want to go to work. Government, give me handouts. Exactly. Somebody else can just figure out where that money's going to come from, but it's all about me right now. Yeah, exactly. And just look what they're doing with the, with the youngest generation of kids now. They're telling them, oh, you don't have to go to school because you might not feel like it. Yeah. Just I mean, all stay home. What kind of horrible message does that send to young people? How are these people going to grow up with the impulse or a sense of the need to sacrifice for their country if they're not asked to do it now? Yeah. I mean, five-year-olds should be able to understand that, you know, sometimes you just have to buck up and do the work. That's exactly it. And I think that not only should we reopen schools, but every time a child dies of COVID, their picture should be put up at the front of the room as a, they're heroes. They are. 
Exactly, you know, and just think of the amazing monuments that we can make for the children and the teachers and the staff who understood that there was something greater than themselves. And so that's that. I, I mean, that's what we should be teaching about sacrifice and doing what's best for the economy. And and aside from that sacrifice argument, the other side of this is that history teaches us that these kinds of mass pandemics, global pandemics, are actually good for the economy. Yeah, and good for people. That's right. You know, for the people who survive, your immune systems are stronger. I mean, yep. by, by cowering in our basements watching our Netflix, we're only harming ourselves in the long term. I mean, I think about the Black Death of the 14th century that hit Europe and something like 30 or 50 percent of the population died. Yes, on the face of it, that looks like a tragedy. But what happened in the wake of that? Wages went up. Yeah. Workers got more freedoms. Yep. And a little thing we like to call the Renaissance. Exactly. is pretty much a direct product of the Black Death. And so by shutting down our economy and having these strict quarantines, we're not only hurting our economy, we're hurting culture. What untold possibilities would there be? Are we preventing the next Michelangelo or Leonardo da Vinci because we're too afraid to go outside and get back to work? I mean, really, when you put it that way, how could you argue against opening up the economy? These artists, they need to do what they've been doing all along, working in coffee shops, working yeah. in bookstores, right? That's where that creative genius comes from working yourself to death. Um, and then that's that spark of inspiration comes about. Leisure time. I always say leisure time is the enemy of creativity. Absolutely. And also, if we don't have rich patrons to support the arts, mm -hmm. then how does anything get done? And how are those patrons going to make any money if people aren't out there working for them? Right. And then I mean, they make that money and they give it back to society. Yeah. Hello. It's a healthy ecosystem. It really is. It really is. And, and just another example, a lot of people like to compare the coronavirus pandemic to the 1918 flu. Yep. Because apparently there's this, the same quote unquote virus or related viruses. I mean, I, mean, I don't know how we know that but uh yeah. whatever let's let's take that as a as a hypothesis when you look at the 1918 flu what happened after that was over the roaring 20s which is everybody's favorite time period how many movies are set in the 1920s right i mean it's just it's just a beautiful fun time for Everybody. I can't think of a single person who wasn't enjoying themselves in the 1920s. Exactly. I mean, the great Gatsby. That's what we have to look forward to. Yeah. And, and so if we can just get out of our own way and yeah. send people back to work and give up this crazy idea of, again, putting health and safety ahead of the economy. It's so selfish. It really is unbelievably selfish. I don't know how some people live with themselves. I really don't either. 
Okay, that brings us to our final segment where we discuss a historical episode that is relevant to what we've been talking about so far. And Denise, what did you want to discuss today? Well, today I wanted to talk about an individual who did understand the importance of sacrificing public health for the economy. Uh, a woman who has been just unfairly maligned in, in history and in public culture, uh, Typhoid Mary. Typhoid Mary. Yeah. Now, see, this was a young, hardworking Irish-American girl who really just wanted to create a better life for herself. Mm-hmm. But she wasn't going to rely on government handouts or trying to just beg money off of people. She was going to work for it. She understood that that was how things are done in this country. Mm-hmm. Now, it turned out that Mary was an asymptomatic carrier of typhoid, which, you know, wasn't a very pleasant disease, but she didn't let that stop her. She would go and she would work as a cook for a variety of families. And yeah, sure, sometimes members of these families would fall ill, and very rarely some of these people would die. Um, But for the most part, you know, a couple of them got sick and then they got better. But Mm -hmm. whenever that happened, you know, Mary would go out and find a new family to work for so that she can continue to produce. Um, but unfortunately, you know, those, those elites who think that they know everything decided that she was just too much of a threat. And so the New York Health Department essentially arrested her and threw her into isolation and confinement and told her that she couldn't work as a cook anymore. Wow. And, you know, it's awful. They would continually test her. She had no say over these medical tests that were being done to her. Mm-hmm. And then finally, they did allow her to leave as long as she promised um, not to be a cook anymore. But of course, you know, that's how she made money. That's what she knew how to do. Mm-hmm. And so she went back to cooking. And, you know, unfortunately, a couple people here and there got sick. And again, the authorities just descended on her. And this time, they weren't satisfied with just running a few tests on her. No, this time they kept her uh, in essentially containment for the rest of her life. She wasn't allowed to leave. Wow. It's just terrible. And you know, so instead of being a hardworking, contributing member to society, she had to rely on government largesse to put her up and feed her and everything. But what kind of life is that? It sounds like an absolutely terrifying case of government overreach. But I, I have a question for you. Do we know that typhoid was actually a disease? Well, that's the thing, you know, everybody just claims that it's typhoid, but and don't really know that we can say for certain that that was a real thing. Mm. And there were plenty of tests that came back on her that were fine. They didn't show any evidence of illness. Right. And she clearly wasn't sick. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to wonder just how much of this was actually just more fear mongering mm-hmm. and an attempt to dissuade people um, for, from hiring, from all accounts, a pretty good cook. Well, and you were saying that she's been demonized in historical memory, which sounds like just the perfect way for liberals uh, yet again to demonize hardworking. Americans. They have no respect for working people. None at all. And you can hear them talk about this all the time. They'll say, oh, well, people with with this coronavirus, 
mm-hmm. might not show symptoms, but they can still make people sick. Exactly what they said about typhoid Mary. Right. And right. so for some reason, all of us who are healthy, like our own health becomes an indictment against us. It sounds like typical scare tactics that uh, the deep state that government overreach would use to tell us what to do with our lives. And right. what would we call Typhoid Mary today? An essential worker. You said she was a cook, right? Yeah. Families need people like that cooking for them. What are they going to eat? Right, exactly. And I mean, you know, the people who are hiring her, you know that they didn't have the time or the skills necessary for cooking. They relied on her to do that while they continued to make money the American way. Well, and those those were obviously wealthy people out there creating jobs for other Americans like Typhoid Mary. Right. I mean, the system was working the way that it's supposed to. Quite honestly, even if she was sick with typhoid, she should have continued working just as a way to say thanks to her employers. And for her employers to be, because apparently the reason that they were able to catch was one of them decided to hire, you know, someone from the health department to to figure this out. Mm. And that's too bad because really the death rate from typhoid is super low. And I think there's a balance of acceptable losses. Mm -hmm. And again, you know, it's like a few family members got sick. I think one died. When you look at the the percentages there, uh, those are pretty good odds. Well, and correct me if I'm wrong, but typhoid is transmitted by fecal matter, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, you would think that if she was putting fecal matter into people's food, they would have noticed. Yeah, that would be a pretty big giveaway. If you don't have a vector of transmission, if you have false tests, then what's the justification for locking her away for the rest of her life? Right. When her only crime is just wanting to work. Yeah. She's a martyr to individual freedom. And that's why the liberal elite just can't handle her. She's a hero. I can't believe more people aren't talking about her. Well, I think we'll probably need to stop here before members of the deep state realize where our undisclosed location is. We should wrap it up. It's been a pretty good first episode, I think. I concur. And like another great American hero, General Douglas MacArthur, we shall return. That's right. So this is Camafoil. And until you hear from us again, don't believe anything. <laughs>